Hi guys, welcome back to the Original Judo Podcast. I'm James Austin and I'm joined this week by, well, he's a multiple British medalist. He's taken a fifth place at Youth Olympics. It is Scotland's Aidan Moffat. Aidan, how are you doing, buddy? Welcome to the podcast. I'm good, mate. I'm good, mate. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. No, absolute pleasure. Um, Now, it's been a couple of years since you uh, well, step back from full-time judo. And I know we've just been talking off air about the, a little comeback maybe on the cards or certainly like flexing some of those judo muscles again. Um, but do you want to tell people how you got started in judo? Uh, well, how I actually got started was uh, my dad. My dad done judo when he was uh, at high school. And basically, like, as you do, you roll a bit with your old man. And he... Uh, he taught me and me through a cabinet and from then <laughs> I was like that's that's a sport I want to do uh thankfully my coach actually came into my school after this experience and picked me out of the crowd as one of the ones that would probably be quite good at it. and then uh since then I've been hooked there so you've had you've had a life in judo and you uh coach but you also yeah. trained full-time uh, with the British Centre of Excellence um, for several years. Um, what kind of goes into that decision? Like, um, how old were you when you moved to full-time training? You know, when you, and, and that move for you was moving from Scotland down to, you know, the, the Midlands to Warsaw. Like, what goes into that decision? Uh, well, a number of factors come into it. So, like... I was training as much as I physically could up here in Scotland. So I, I don't drive. So, as well, I didn't drive at that, that time. And I couldn't really get to training to the place that the training is in Ratho. Like, I couldn't get the public transport. And if I did, I felt like I was always relying on somebody else. I'd have to get a train, I'd have to get a bus, and it would be about three three hours to train on. Whereas the Walsall Centre, they had like a new beginning. It felt like a new philosophy, a new chapter. And I I wanted to be in that that environment where it actually felt geared towards you. And it was financial as well. Like I'm not from a well-off background and getting a train to training every day if if I could manage during school, school time and that. It was hard. It was like financially draining. It was tiring. And when you you see like an opportunity like that, where you're gonna get paid to do judo, the thing that you're obsessed about anyway, you you just have to jump at it. Uh, the fact that it was like 500 miles away didn't didn't really matter to me. Like obviously it was hard, but the the opportunity just couldn't pass up. Like, I couldn't pass it up. Yeah. You're a young man at the time, so you're 17, 18 when you moved down to yep. to Warsaw. Now, what's it like suddenly being away from your support network, family, that kind of thing, friends? Uh, it was really hard, actually. It was, it was horrific. Like, my my support network's, like, really, really tight. There's, there's not – I don't have big circles there. Uh, my coach had helped me through life – not just with judo. He, he had helped me through financial struggles. He had helped me through, like, 
moral conundrums and stuff like that. He was he was just like a really good coach. And then when you travel 500 miles away, like you can call somebody, but it's not the same as seeing them in person and picking their brains. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like not having my mum there as well. That was hard. I'm, I'm quite a mama's boy. I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, being... It's a different country as well. Like I, I know we're in the UK, but there's no scenery. There's no, there's no stuff that kind of makes your heart feel happy down down <laughs> those ends. Like, be careful. I'm, I'm not, I'm not from too far away from Warsaw. Yeah, it's, it's pretty flat, <laughs> to say the least. And there's no much greenery. Whereas you've come from just just north of Edinburgh and that, like it's it's quite scenic. And that that sort of calms the mind a bit, but yeah. No, I completely agree. But that's definitely going to be the quote of the podcast. There's yeah. nothing down there. Yeah. Also, to... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty much hee-haw. Um. So you you moved to Warsaw like it was a new start, and they took in a load of young athletes. Yeah. Is that a challenge? Like I know when I was training full time, I'm I'm up in Scotland. And I was lucky enough to have uh, a group of senior athletes around me, the likes of Ewan Burton, Sarah Clark, you know, um, Matt Percy, James Miller, um, Sarah Adlington, Sally Conway, who are all like very experienced yeah, athletes, but people I could look up to. Do you know, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, good role models and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think at the time that you moved down, because they were setting up, you, you know, as a young man, you you would have been one of the ones who'd had a lot of success. You know, you're coming off a youth Olympics with a, a fifth place, which is a great result as a cadet. Yeah. Um, but, but what's it like, again, being in that setup, perhaps without some of those role models to aspire to? And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there were people you did look up to there. Uh, there, there was and there wasn't. Like, uh, we all have our own tendencies. Like, I didn't just jump out. Like, I'd been on the map with you and Burton all that, Matt Percy, all that all that sort of group as well up in Scotland. So I kent what it meant to train hard. And that's that was one of the things that like you you knew that you were going down for. There was no like in that group there was no slackers and we sort of self policed ourselves. Yeah. In that environment. There was no like say if somebody didn't turn up to training, we'd all get that sort of punishment. So it was like we were all a unit there training as hard as we physically could. So as as in role models, when like the ONSDs and all that came, uh, they were coming into our house, the role models. Yeah. And they were they were almost trying to keep up with us, so to say. That's that's what it felt like for me, because we were always up in the temple, like training and trying to chase them out the door basically. Like, yeah, you're role models, but we're we're here to take over. That's that's what it, it should be like. The young folks should be coming for the old dogs, yeah. Love that. And who who were the athletes then, like that you aspired to be like? And maybe this is earlier in your career. Like, who were your judo heroes? Like, this is going to sound really cringy, but like Lewis Keeble was one of the ones that were just like a couple of three three years older, I think, than me. And his judo was 
unbelievable. I remember fighting him and thinking, I can't really get close. And that's my style. I, I like to get through through the arms, getting close, and just basically nullify judo and basically turn it into a wrestling match. Yeah. And he was just picking me off left, right, and centre. And then he had like to call an oats, he was coming on the mat and I was like, technique wise, he shouldn't be beating me, but he's beating Kibo, so the, there must be something there. It was his cardio. I was like, I've actually got to work hard to get that cardio so that I could beat Kibo. That sort of thing. So yeah. There was a couple other guys as well. Like I liked a bit of Zantarai, obviously he was a big deal at that moment in time. I used to love watching Nomura. I'd yeah. obsess over his videos and stuff like that. But, yeah, those were the sort of judo heroes. No, I love that. And then you get to the centre. And did you have, is it six years you trained full-time? I had two years, two, three years at the centre and then... Uh, five five years full-time back up at raffle yeah okay look at that that's that's my terrible homework <laughs> that's yeah. gone into the podcast so what's it like being down there because i know that again we talked about this off air that you were beset with injuries throughout your career yeah it was quite hard like i got quite a lot of flack as it was because the center was new i was treated not the best by some of the other athletes because they were like oh why is he getting this that and the next thing when he's not done anything like why is he getting this support why is he getting this physio why is he getting this strength why is he getting money to go train and uh yeah there was quite a lot of people not happy with it and you you sort of felt like people were wishing you bad as you were training like i was getting injuries like that you shouldn't be getting like Weird, weird injuries like my my pinkies getting snapped, my ankles breaking, my my cracking my sternum, like breaking ribs. Like they were just injuries that shouldn't happen, but sort of consistently did. And it wasn't due to the training load because I I built myself up into the the mad training load that we were, we were going for. And the people around me, like Alan McDonald is a great S&C coach. And he, he had me in impeccable condition. And I was doing all the physio, doing all the stretching, doing all the prehab. And it was still like, like I say, I was like a glass warrior, bits, bits shattered off me. But my structure stays intact. It was just annoying, niggly injuries. And the more time you have off, off the mat, the more stagnant you feel less confident you are like it's like going against the current can the further down the river you go to try and get to where you're actually trying to get get washed downstream Uh, and that that was hard that was that was harder but I did the best I could I did the gym as much as possible I just tried to be as resilient as possible. And while your support network, when you're 500 miles away and you're fed up of getting injured, you're fed up, you're frustrated, you've been managing your weight well, you've been doing everything correct as you possibly can, and it just feels like something's against you sometimes. 
And yeah, is it? We all know there's like tribalism, political nature of judo. People always look for reasons to uh, poke holes in what other people are doing. What's it like though, knowing that? Well, what's the frustration like knowing that you've kind of made this sacrifice? You know, you've moved down the country to because you love judo because you want to take yourself further. But then, as you've said, yeah, people are questioning why you're getting the support, and yet you've again, I, I presume you see this the sacrifice that you've made to to have that. Yeah, yeah, like it's not willy nilly. You don't decide to go 500 miles away or however many miles it is away for nothing like you almost feel betrayed by the jealousy of other people and it's like this doesn't make sense and I was the first Scotsman to do it like Mm -hmm. I essentially opened the floodgates and took all of the stick like oh I know this sounds silly to other people but oh you're basically English and like that to somebody like me is like it's a slap in the face because you've buried yourself into that system. Like you've worked so hard in those places and then for them to go, oh, you're switching your nationality. And it is a joke sometimes, but like the more it still hurts. It, yeah, you, you you start to feel disowned and like people are against you. Like people would would turn their backs on me and I'd be like but I've I've been at your training setup for ages. All all you don't you don't agree with the the philosophy that I've went for. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to to work together to to reach the common goal. Because that's that's what centres are at the end of the day. Forget the tribalism. It's just clash of philosophies. Like I I don't believe you're going to be able to outfight a angry hungry Russian. But there is a place for fighting, out fighting Japanese people, and it's it's just a clash of philosophies. Like Campbell, you know they're always hard workers. They're hard, hard grafters. They're good technically. They're sound on the ground. And then Ratho, you know that's a place where they they pride themselves on catching you on the ground. In the center, center didn't have a philosophy yet, and I wanted to sort of add myself add my philosophy into something else I know that sounds deep and like weird but that's that's what you wanted to do you wanted to build like a new healthy philosophy that could could work work within the system but yeah do you think do you think then that you contributed to how to shaping the the system as part of the first group that, oh, that yeah, went down. yeah, 100%. 100%. Like, we we made sure, I know that just sounds daft, but, like, the work ethic, the, like, how hard you were working, it was like, we were trying to outwork everybody because we knew we were getting everything. Like, we were getting more support than these people who are training in a shed or driving, driving mad miles. Like I, I literally rolled out of bed and would be straight on the mat in five minutes. Like that, that is an immense. So with that becomes that responsibility where you have to train a certain way and you have to be able to fight a certain way. 
and I felt like, yeah, that we did we did sort of make that at at the at the centre. You you've talked about uh, two or three years at the centre, then moving back to train uh, full time in Ratho. Kind of what goes into that decision? Is that around funding? Is that just wanting to be closer to family and friends? Well, it was mostly down to funding. I would have stayed down in Walsall if I could afford it. But I had zero plan B for when I judo wasn't going to work. Like I I would have had a trade by the time I was 20. Like that's that's the sort of like background I'm from. I probably would have ended up being a brickie, done a bit of plumbing, done a bit of that. But I had zero plan B because I was like, plan B is like a, a failure. Like, I'm not going to fall back on plan B. I'm going to put everything into plan A. And once my funding got stopped, I was sort of just like, there's there's no point here to trying to do this. Like, if, I, if I'm training, I have to be training 100%. I can't be working a job, then coming back here to train because that's not what I signed up for. I signed up to be to be on this program and to be training as hard as I physically can. Uh, Does that bring pressure? Oh, investing so much in it. A hundred percent, yeah. Sometimes you can want something too much, and I know certain guys that were in my training environment just wanted it too much. And because they wanted it too much, they could never turn on that performance. It's the people that don't really need it that seem to start doing well. And yeah, it's just having weight over your weight off your shoulders. Like, how did you deal I, with it? Uh, I've always been quite strong, resiliently, and always been under pressure because I'm from a, a little club. Tayside Judo, where we've been underdogs since since we started. Like we're not we're not supposed to do well. We're like we shouldn't do well. But the only thing that gets us to do well is our coach's philosophy of nobody's going to give you anything. You've got to go go and get it. And if you're willing to work, you've got to work. And we'd outwork everybody else, and that's what made us made us the way we are. Uh, because percentage-wise, numbers-wise, we've never we've never been able to do. Well, we 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 shouldn't been able to do what we did on the on the European or British stage. Like we've had numerous British medalists at Tayside Judo, and like there was always a pathway coming down. Like there's people to look up to from there. But yeah, sorry, we're going a bit off the topic there. But, no, no, not at all. Is it? It's all good. It's um, what goes into that decision? Then you talked about finishing in 2019. Kind of what goes into that decision? Is it that your body is is broken, or again, have you reached a stage where you're going like I don't know what I'm doing, I need something <laughs> else? But it also coincided with COVID, didn't it? So yeah, like... uh, it was just before COVID hit. Uh, it was weird. I was just uh. I was training, obviously. I was going from my training because, like I say, when I go to training, I have to be 100% committed. Otherwise, 
I don't feel like I'm gaining anything from it. Because I know everybody else is training with their 100%. And if you go into training with a 60% mentality, you're just going to get the floor wiped with you. And uh, it was weird. I was just training and I felt... It's not that I felt like they wanted me out the door. It was... Like, I know that they, they wanted me to keep training, but it was just the the traffic, sitting in traffic, going over that Queen's Ferry crossing when that was getting built, the, mm-hmm. the three hours that it would take. So it would take me like an hour to get to training, then I'd train for two hours, then I'd drive back, and then I'd have to come back through to Edinburgh the same day, do the exact same thing. And that was 40 quid in fuel already gone there. Plus I'm knackered from training. Plus I'm grumpy because I'm I'm not getting my food in at the right times, and it's just a knock-on effect. And all it took was I was actually painting my room when I had a week off. My mum asked, "Are you happy doing judo?" And at that moment, I I, I just felt like a a deep deep sort of sadness, and was like, "I'm I'm not happy doing judo just now." And I, I don't understand why. That's always been my my escape. That's always been my therapy. Like I'm obsessed with judo. I watch YouTube videos of judo pretty much every day. Like I, I'm like I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a judo player. I wanted to watch judo. I wanted to be a judo player. I wanted to become a judo player. And when when you start feeling a deep sadness towards it, it's it's like it totally knocks you for six. And I wasn't sure if it was depression due to broken ribs training through them and then like nobody telling me, Aiden, you shouldn't actually be on the mat, you should be at home resting, like you're you're clearly broken. You just need to take some time. But nobody seemed to like pull me back. They were always pushing me and pushing me and pushing me, which is good. But I felt like when I took, finally made that decision that no, nah, I'm quitting. It was it was liberating. I felt like I I could train for me, and in my last year, I had some of my best results. I was fighting better. There was no pressure. I didn't really care if I if I won or not. And yeah. It was just it was just hard. I just felt like there was nobody that actually cared about me. Like that's that's it's hard to say that, but it was like, nah, we don't care if you get broken, we don't care if you if you're burnt out and exhausted from working, coaching along with teaching and along with training. That sort of thing, yeah. It was just it was just hard. Yeah. COVID hits, and obviously you've you've talked about how you were coaching pre-COVID. Is that working yeah. with kids? Is that back with yeah. your old club? Uh, it was back with my old club. Eh? I'd I'd always coached and trained as soon as I came back up here to to be able to pay for my training. So I wasn't making any money. I was just using all that money to train and go on these trips. So, like, I'm basically coaching for free because they love the sport. 
and because I'm paying to do paying to do judo, and uh, yeah, it was just yeah, I was coaching from then the like five year olds, and I think my el my oldest at that time was about six to eight, so I was coaching the whole range, uh, and I had was- been. Sorry, carry on. No, I was going to say, like, what, what what was coaching for you at that stage? Was it about a way, was it a way to earn money because this is the skill set you have? Or were you trying to be, like, you've talked about your coach helping you through life. Were you you trying to, yeah, pass on what you knew and, and develop young athletes or young people? Yeah, it, it, it was just to try and do what he done for us. Like, there's not many of these unsung heroes kicking about but he is a hundred percent one of them and if i could just do what he did for me what's his name and andy McEnroy. if if i could do that to one person what he's done for me i will die a happy person like he is he is a genuine superhero like there's every every slags him off every he's 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 that he's a grumpy old get but he's he's literally one of the best human beings I've ever met in my life. Like he's so, so selfless. And see when, when nobody else is given, giving you everything, and somebody like that pours stuff into you, it's, it's like a confidence beyond. Like sometimes I wasn't even fighting for me. I was fighting for him, to show, to to pay him back for all the stuff that he's done for us. Eh? And yeah, like his philosophy, his way of helping people. Like, yeah, it was just trying to do that. That's what my coaching was. My coaching was trying to give back to what I had what I had received and trying to replicate that and keep it going, keep the cycle going, you know. And it wasn't. It's not. It's not. Still not about money. It's about trying to trying to build us to where we should be. I think, you know? Yeah, no, I love it. Like, again, I want to come back to that, but I also want to go talk around COVID hits at a time when you are out of love with judo. When, yeah, yeah, probably anything judo is hurting or, you know, it's it's helping, it's not helping, it's, it's creating this low mood. How do you stay connected to the sport and then... Why did you come back to the sport post-COVID? Well, when the whole world stops, like it did stop with COVID, I I thought I might never come back to a job because like we're never going to get back in with COVID. Like we, we knew how bad COVID was when it was coming. Like we were saying, oh no, like this is us done. Like we're not making any money ever. Like we don't know what's gonna happen, and then from it's been that it feels so funny, doesn't it? Like, but looking back at the time, people were going, "Well, that's that is the end of judo. Like, we yeah. never have contact with people in the same way again. Yeah. How's, was, how are we gonna manage?" Yeah, it was it was totally like earth shaking. Like, uh, there was there was nothing you could you couldn't plan anything, you couldn't do anything. It was just this is it, this is it for us. Like. We can do online zooms and stuff like that, but it's it's never gonna be it's never gonna be judo. And like I say, I my life was a hundred miles an hour. I never got time to breathe. 
and then all of a sudden I've had forced forced rest like I was I was at a point where I was doing weird stuff like walking for like 20 odd miles a day like I ran I ran a marathon just for the sake of running a marathon like and I was like none of this stuff makes me feel the way judo did and like there was other stuff going about that time and like other sports were getting in just before we were and like I said I was wrestling my pals at a back garden on just just with like some of the ex-judo boys who are still still about, but obviously they they've been stuck in their force force ways, and then we're wrestling outside back garden, sun shining. We've got no like we've obviously got the worry that our, we're never going back to a job, but currently we're we're getting paid to do nothing, so like we're just wrestling about in a back garden, just enjoying enjoying the sport. I was like, this is this is what the sport is actually about surrounding us and getting rid of that tension all that stress all that uncertainty when somebody's trying to kill you that's real stress because that's what that's what a tap is isn't it oh yeah you got me this time bud you killed me like that's that's real stress not financial not i don't know why what's happening there what's happening in 10 years time like you're there in the present and that that was so like freeing for me just to just to fall back in love with the sport and you're coaching again now you like we're obviously a couple of years out of covid almost yeah. feels like it never happened yeah. you know things have returned for many people back to normal um where are you at with judo now uh i'm sort of just training and enjoying myself like I'm coaching but through COVID like we've had like a a massive like I know this this is like global global as well but the kids have almost uh, lost that competitive competitive spirit due to COVID I'm not sure if it's anxiety or whatever it is but they we lost a whole generation of our up-and-comings who had seen how we had trained and like we were their role models on how we trained and we got totally wiped back to scratch. We had to start our new culture, our new philosophy just after COVID and it was like, I need to show them how to train. I need to be on the mat and train with them so they can see the sweat, blood and tears that go into going into being a an athlete going into being a proper judo player and how you conduct yourself when when times are hard like you have to be in the trenches with them for them to know what the trenches are like because yeah. then you'll never understand what how to train like how you should practice like how you should act on the mat and like I felt like I needed to be that one that would show and breed the competitive culture back through our club. And, yeah, the best way to do that is to get back in the trenches and start swinging, isn't it? Definitely. 
No, I love that. And then you've you've talked as well a little bit about having a couple of competitive runouts. You're still young. You, I can't remember what we said. 28, 27, 27, turning 28 next month. Yeah, like, are you are you looking competing regularly or? Again, is that behind you? Is it, is it just competition, just to feel it? Again, remember what it felt like. Yeah, it's it's a mixture. Like I'm, I'm tempted. The beast is still there. Like there's no killing that competitive spirit. Like that will that will stay with me till I die. It just it just won't go away. And it's it's about being at that point where I need to enjoy it and not turn back into a full-time athlete because when you're a full-time athlete you tend to get a bit selfish you're self-centered because you have to be you have to look after yourself whereas I'm trying to keep that even keel where I'm a coach who's doing the competitive stuff to show what it's like to be a competitor and yeah, yeah it. it still is there like yeah, I get the taste for it. Like, when are you gonna be out next? Whether that's competing or coaching the young guns, when uh, uh, when are we gonna? When are you gonna see you around the circuit? Well, I'm just back after shoulder injury again. <laughs> I done, done my shoulder at the British when I was fighting six to six for the first time in four years. I've moved back down weight category just because I was lighter. Uh, probably I'm going to be fighting Northern Ireland, which is in two weeks. So I probably should have done more training for it. But oh, you're back in full, full speed. Uh, may, maybe, maybe Slovakia in June. Oh, awesome. about that, so Yeah, it's just like I say, it's just for the kids. And as for the kids, and as for me, is to try kill the beast. But yeah, hey, it sounds like you're enjoying it at the moment, and that you maybe lost that, you know. And I think it's really yeah. important. You've said it already. It's so hard. It's so physically hard. It's so mentally demanding and draining that you need to be enjoying it at some level. Yeah. Um, and it's great to hear that you're back in that spot. If people wanna follow you or the club throwing you under the bus now i didn't prep you for this yeah, uh, are you yeah. on are you yeah, on social media we're anyway on, we're on socials yeah you can follow us on insta instagram at taste judo club uh you can follow me as well but i probably it's probably no worth following me all it is is pictures of me <laughs> up hills with my dog or swimming in a waterfall it's it's quite boring that way. But if you want to get in touch with us, it's uh, Dayside Judo Club on Insta and Facebook. And I don't think we've got Twitter anymore, but yeah. I absolutely love that, mate. Aiden, thank you so much for coming yeah. on the podcast. Right. Really appreciate your it time. It was a pleasure. It was a real pleasure. Good to get uh, chatting about judo, isn't it? I, I, that's why I do. I love chatting. I love hearing people's little stories as well. Like you go, like you don't see yeah, the struggle yeah, that people have had yeah. and like their relationship with judo and what they've gone through and, and where they're at with it. And, and that's part of the reason why I, I do this. Yeah. Um, but been absolutely superb. Thank you very much guys. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Um, 
yeah, we will be back maybe next week, maybe two weeks, trying to keep it regular, but I'm not sure I can quite manage weekly. All the usual nonsense, like, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. Catch you soon.